Right. Okay, so um, if you were here last week, put your hands up. If you weren't here last week, pop your hand up. All right, you guys are on catch-up. Oh, unless you've listened online, thank you, Alice. Excellent. Just a brownie point there, get a star. <laughs> uh, we started a series called The Heart of the Prophet, and... Um, this is uh, basically a few weeks where we're looking at the minor prophets. I got to kick off, because I'm going first. I got to choose, so I chose Jonah, nice and simple. But um, I've had loads of fun with it. Last week, we looked at how um, Jonah ran from God. So he, he, the, the, the task he was asked to do, he just physically, emotionally, mentally uh, did not want to do it. Full stop. In fact, to the point where he was willing to run from family, friends, community, employment, and even the presence of God. And he ran as far as he could go, even unto the point of death. And we looked at uh, a really poignant moment in Jonah's life where, as the doors of death are in effect closing on him, he finally cries out to God. And in a second, in an instant, we see the grace of God is in, on him, got him. He's safe, he's saved, and he's ready now to do what God wants him to do. But what we're going to look at this week is that, you know, as we walk as Christians, we sometimes, we, we hit an obstacle and we kind of work through it with God and he teaches us stuff and we learn stuff and we think, oh, I've got, I've got that. I'm all right now. Only to find that like not a few weeks later, we hit another obstacle very similar and actually we're back again and actually we think, oh, I'm learning this again. So we'll kick, up, uh, kick off this week. What I'd like you to do is um, turn to Jonah and you can find Jonah. He's a tiny weeny little prophet in the Old Testament. Let me see. Let me see if I can find him first. Here he is. As soon as you've got the number of the page, you can call that out. That would be very nice. 928. Rob knows that, of course. He was first because I, um, I, I left it open for him. <laughs> okay, that's brilliant. I can't find it now. What was it again? 928. See, look, there's my smugness gone. Right, okay, so we're looking at chapters three and four this week, but before I do that, rest that on your laps. I want you to um, think about um, anger, okay, because Jonah gets very angry this week, so I want you to hold that, and I wonder what you're like with anger. Now, um, you might be the, or you might have have experienced that in your life. It's not a very nice place to be, is it, to be on the other end of anger, you might be what's known as the passive aggressive, who kind of lets you know that something is wrong, but it's very much a, well, if you don't know, I'm not telling you. <laughs> that sort of thing, isn't it? When we were on the, um, the HTB marriage course, they have this thing called rhinos and hedgehogs. I think that's right, I might be wrong. But the idea is when you're in conflict, you're either a hedgehog who kind of rolls up into a ball and gets very prickly and has you know, kind of shows your displeasure but doesn't want to talk about it, or you're the rhino that wants to come in and have a really good fight in the morning, you know, or in the evening, or whatever your marriage is currently suffering with. Um, So 
Today, we will be thinking a little bit about anger and, and particularly the question of, is it, um, oh, it's not there, is it right to get angry with God, okay? That's kind of a touchy subject and we'll get back to that in a bit. So first, I must have my victims. So um, I'll be the narrator. Uh, is MM here? Excellent. Come on, God. MM likes to play God. He's very good at it. And... Um, <laughs> That didn't come out right, did it? <laughs> so, so sorry about that. Um, uh, Jonah, well, in, in, is Joe here? As in Heather and Joe? No? Oh dear, what am I going to do? Who else is from my house group? All right, Rob, you'll have to come and be Jonah. Come on then. Up you come. You've got loads, yeah. Well, you wanted loads, so it's okay. Would anyone like to be just the King's Proclamation? Andrew, you're good at. Um, acting, you come up and do that. It literally just one sentence, so you'll be all right. Okay, so we're going to read um, chapters three and four today. Um, so Andrew, just to, to tell you, you've just got the bit where the king said and, and then he, you know, the, the little surf guy announces it. Okay, so chapter three, page 928. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them put on... (coughs) Sorry... Sorry, they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Then God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied... Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a piece east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah and give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. 
He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do. He said, I, I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend <coughs> it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Thank you. Well done, guys. <laughs> right. So, <clears throat> here we go. Jonah part two. So, Jonah is off to the ancient uh, city of Nineveh. It's about a month's journey from Israel, so it's quite a long way, um, quite a long way to go. It's in northern Iraq. Um, I found out that it's opposite the city of Mosul, which I would never have known, but, you know, obviously there's been so much there, so now we know where that is. Um, it's part of the Assyrian Empire, and although at this point that empire is, is quite weak, okay, so I want you to picture that in your mind, it hasn't been in history. So it's got history with Israel, it's got history with the family of Jonah. Um, there would have been, uh, where he's living is what we'd call post-conflict, you know, they're in a bit of peace, but they're very much post-conflict. And that conflict is very raw in their minds. You can imagine, if we think about the stuff we see on the news, what war is like, and the Assyrians are responsible for what has happened. Okay, so they, they are going to have, they're going to be in a situation where they know that these people have killed family, relatives, friends. They're going to be in a situation where they know that these people are to be feared, Okay, so that's kind of what's going on behind. They are a very aggressive um, empire. Um, they are the religious uh, center from this, for this goddess called Ishtar, and as well as being the god of love and all that sort of stuff that we generally associate with kind of female deities, she's also the goddess of war. So that helps you think kind of the mindset behind the people that uh, Jonah's going to. Um, there is another thing to put into the bag when we think about Jonah going to this place is that he may have been aware of some of the more contemporary prophets around him who, uh, or, or around him or, or behind that. He may have had some knowledge of a kind of prophecy of Israel's destruction and it would come at the hands of the Assyrians. Can you see? So he's not only going to people who have warred against him and his people, who they're living in that post-war conflict sort of mindset, but they're living in fear of what might happen again in the future. So this is where he's at when he sets off. Um, in fact, um, the people that um, Jonah goes to are responsible for that. 50 years later, so what's that, like one or two generations later, they attack Israel and they, you know, they win. They murder. You know, we don't want to think about some of the other things that go along with war, do we? And they cart them off, very much like we read um, in, da in the book of Daniel, where he's carted off as a slave to a far land. That is what happens to Jonah and his people just 50 years later. So you need to have his, that in your mindset of what he's doing. 
There's a, a third thing in here that um, the words God uses for Nineveh, that the wickedness has come up before him, is very similar wording to that which you find for Sodom and Gomorrah as well. And that kind of idea that he's going to overthrow is the same word that God uses for Sodom and Gomorrah, that he's going to completely destroy it. So we've got these two things going on. We've got this one prophecy about destroying, and we've got this one prophecy about them winning. And Jonah's in the middle of this. Do you want to take this message? What do you want to do? Um, Well, he very reluctantly goes to this enemy camp. And we can see here, it isn't fear of the people we read at the end, isn't it? It isn't fear of the people that he's worried about. Though they they are a violent nation, we we hear that they're wicked. He's not, he probably is frightened of that. But his deepest fear is that utter terror that these people might change their mind. Okay, so let's go over here with them. Let's think of the consequences of Jonah's words. If these people change their mind and they repent, this frees them up to do what? To go back and attack. Okay? And Jonah, he's very clear. That's what he doesn't want to happen. So he goes in with this amazing sermon Five words. Five words. It's seven in English, but it's only five for little Jonah there. He goes for five words into this place. And it's a really uncomfortable place to go. Because he's got in his mind, they're not only enemies, but they might attack again. Um, When they have that, uh, if they do turn... In Jonah's mind, potentially, God might have even changed sides. Can you see that? Might have even changed sides. It's really uncomfortable, isn't it, for us when we tell a friend about Jesus. Sometimes we might get a bit, bit awkward about it. Might feel a little bit like maybe they think I'm a weirdo. But imagine going to tell an enemy that Jesus loves them. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking when I lived in Lebanon, I worked in a Christian school in the mountains, and, and this school is, uh, is amongst the Druze, not Jews, Druze, starting with a duh, and these are like an offshoot of Islam, um, their main kind of thing is that they believe in reincarnation, okay, so I'll just put that out there for you. But anyway, this school, this Christian school, was not always amongst the Druze, but rather, it was amongst the Christians and the Druze. And in the Civil War, what happened was the country separated into religious groups, and the neighbors of the Christians, who, here's the Christian, here's the Druze, they played together, eaten together, fellowship together, their children have gone to school together, lined up the Christians and executed them. And the Christians from this area, they fled for their lives, and the school remained dormant because the war raged. When the war stopped, the Christians who had fled decided to reopen the school. 
because they wanted to bring that message of love and forgiveness and hope back to the very people who had killed their family and their friends. But they, um, they weren't confident at the time to move back. But what some of them did, they drove an hour's journey, maybe more, every day up to the school to work in it to spread the love. And I think that is just a tiny taste, really, of what Jonah here is doing. This is a tiny taste, but his heart's not there. He's just being told to do it. It is hard what he is doing. Okay, so we've done all that. Okay, so here we have Jonah going. He's going. He doesn't want to go, and if he goes and they repent, they might come and attack his people. It's a little bit like Terminator, I think. Anyway, I'll leave it there. <clears throat> he doesn't look pretty, Jonah. Have you ever thought about that? If he's in this fish, whatever it was, let's not go there. Potentially, he's got some skanky skin, stomach acid, no hair. He's looking a little bit scary. And he says these five words. Jonah has been described as the most... Um, the most successful prophet of all times. Basically, it says five words, and instantly they just fall and start repenting. You can imagine his just how his heart must be. Can you imagine you're here and what potential there is if these people turn and he's just mumbled five words. Oh, And they are all over the place, sackcloth, repenting. The king hears about it. They're not just praying in panic, but they're giving up, it says, their evil ways and their violence. They're giving it up. It's true repentance. They're they're not just saying it in words, but they're going to do it as well. And this is what God has asked his people again and again and again. He's been saying to Israel, he's been saying to Judah, turn from your ways. It's not enough just to say it. You have to do it. If we look at Isaiah 58, let's have a little look together. Uh, Isaiah 58, page 744. And we start at verse 2. It says, For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. And if they were a nation that does, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near to them. But then he says, why have, they say, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And then God very clearly lays out why. You know, he says, yet on the day of your fasting, You do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in the striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. So God's been saying this, but Nineveh does it pretty much instantly. This is the most amazing, amazing work of God. 
Jonah offers, they repent. Nineveh has faith. Verse 10 of Jonah, uh, chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he threatened. Some other translation says he changed his mind. It means to turn around. As Nineveh turns, God turns. And this is not a fickle God, you know. If you think about, oh, he changed his mind. This isn't a fickle God. This isn't a God you can bend or persuade or it's just how he feels, what's his mood like that day, just got out of bed, feeling a bit rough. No, this is not what it means. This is rather a God who is absolutely true to his own unchanging nature. Absolutely true to his own unchanging nature. This is a God of love, compassion, mercy, slow to anger, full of grace. It's a God that we can't sink too low from, we can't go too far from, we can't push too hard. It's a God who is perfect and he is there in an instant that we repent. And Jonah knows that. He knows it. That's what he says. This is why I didn't want to go. He knows what God is like, but he doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand it. Does God desire that anyone should perish? No. Does he like sin? No. Will he punish sin? Yes. Will he forgive? Absolutely. Absolutely. Chapter 4, verse 1. But, Jonah, but to Jonah this seemed wrong, and he became angry. In fact, Jonah becomes so angry at this that he is back straight where he was on that boat not a few chapters ago. He would rather be dead than follow this God. He would rather be dead. Chuck me in the sea. It's so true, isn't it? Like I said at the beginning, you know, when we learn a lesson, we are so often, I'm, I know this, I'm learning it again a week later. I think, oh, I've got it all sorted now. It's okay, I made it clear. No, it's a long lesson. And poor Jonah, he joins a long line of prophets who are just cross and angry, and he joins us. He joins us. You've been there, haven't you? You've been there. It just seems so wrong, Lord. How can people who have done such evil just seem to get so blessed? Why do people who seem so nice seem to have it so hard? Why? Why? It just seems so unjust. It seems unfair. And that's what Jonah's saying here, isn't he? It's unfair. I don't get it. And there won't be anyone in this room that hasn't asked why. And God says, is it right for you to be angry? 
And you know, when some people read this, they're like, is it right for you to be angry? I don't think he says it. You know, God's so gentle with Jonah, isn't he? Have you seen how patient he is? Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Is it right? He is so, so patient. He wants Jonah to see what he sees. The heart of the prophet, he wants to be his heart. He wants his heart in the heart of the prophet. And he wants his heart in our hearts. He longed for that day when Jonah will see, when we will see. He doesn't delight in suffering. He weeps with us when we weep. He doesn't delight in pain. He's a perfect God. And so patiently, gently, he sets out to teach Jonah something, to see what he sees. Thousands upon thousands of people who he made, he created, he formed, he knitted to them together. And they are lost forever without him in sin and torment and violence. So God provides this plant, doesn't he? Simple plant. And it says, um, verse 6, I think, shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And the really interesting thing I found of this is shade is the same word to deliver. And discomfort is the same word for wickedness or evil or calamity. So we could say in this sentence that God provided this to deliver his head from his wickedness. Clever, eh? (laughs) God wants to teach Jonah here. He wants to get to the root. Has he any right to be angry? What's behind Jonah's anger? What's the root here? God makes the plant grow and he, makes, and he allows the plant to die. And Jonah's fury at the injustice, the rage of it. He wishes he would die rather than be involved in this. And God's final words to Jonah, they must have hit home. Because um, as John said to me the other week, actually, how else would we know what happened to Jonah if Jonah didn't tell someone? What does he say in these final words? But the Lord said, verse 10, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should not I have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? You know, that right hand from the left, some commenters have said, oh, that's about the children, but, but no. Lots of others have said, no, not at all. And I was thinking about this right from the left, and I was thinking, you know, what's God saying here to Jonah? The only reason that Jonah knows anything about what is right or what is left is because of God. The only reason that we might know how we might do something well or right or good or just is because God has shown us. He has shown this to us. So how can we sit and judge somebody 
who doesn't quite do it like us. Only grace has enabled us to see anything at all. God's heart is for his whole creation. Um, In the famous verse, we know it all. God so loved the world. Let's do it slowly. For God so loved the world. That is the bits we love and the bits we hate. Let's put that in there. That he gave his only son, himself. That whoever believes in him, that is trust Jesus, shall not die, shall not be overthrown but have eternal life. That is to know God and his love forever. Is it right for us to be angry with God? No. Is it okay when we're angry to tell him so? Yes. God knows our hearts. We don't want to be hypocrites along with it. He knows what's going on there. No matter what we do, no matter how much we rant, no matter how much we flee, no matter how much we say, I just don't want to talk to you today, actually, God, no matter how much we run and say, I don't want to go to church, I don't want to know anybody, I don't want to talk to you, I want to pretend you don't exist, it is okay. It is okay. We can get frustrated and upset, but he can take it. He loves us. He patiently waits for us. He cries with us. He walks as we walk through our own destruction, running from him. He is love and nothing can separate us from him in all of creation. We cannot rant in safer arms. I'm going to say that. We cannot temper tantrum in safer arms than our God, who is strong enough to hold us. His grace is deep enough to cover us. And though we don't always understand it, he waits for us to say, Lord, I don't understand, but I know that you are good. And I know you love me, so I will put my hope and my trust in you. Lord, teach me to have your heart. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that... um, You are the safest arms we can ever be in. That you are always for us, never against us. You are waiting for us. You are there in an instant. You are a father that teaches us. We thank you that you have us so safe and so secure. I thank you, God, that we, you can, you are so patient when we don't understand things. When we cry, you cry with us. And though we don't understand everything and we've got massive big questions, I pray that you would give each one of us the courage to say to you, I know you are good and I will trust in you today. Amen.